<laughs> they would never do that to me. <laughs> to you? <laughs> they would do it to me. Uh, uh, I would lose my mind. If I, wait, that would mean they know I exist. <gasps> Welcome Harry. to One Direction Podcast featuring Callie. Oh my god, I would die. Dude, the other day, it was the 10 year anniversary. Yeah. Of course, I started crying because I love One Direction so much. Like, she just like showed me a video and we're on our way out, we're leaving. And I just was like, I have to go. I have to I leave. can't look at this anymore. And it was the, um, you know which music video it was, the one where they're on dates. And Gotta yeah. Be You? No, Got no, no, no. It? It, I, shit, what song was it? Oh, it's, it was like the newer one. It's new- pretty new. So yeah. Niall's having like a fireside day and he catches his shirt on fire. Um, My Zane's life. Having <laughs> dinner. Yeah. Zane's having oh. dinner and then someone throws spaghetti in his face. Harry's ice skating and then. Um, I don't. He breaks his arm or something. Here's the thing. I, like, their first two albums, I was, like, a One Direction hater for a long time. Yeah. And then, like, literally... Because you're not like other girls, right? Yeah. (laughs) I only listen to Black Belt Brides. That is all I listen to. I really am unlike other girls because I only listen to fucking Black Belt Brides for two years of my life. It's so So good. So, when everyone's in their, like, high school... One Direction phase. I'm like, where's my Black Belt Brides? Listening to Skillet. Like, just Love Skillet. in it. And then, like, my I senior... I was both girls. Yeah. And, and then the senior year, I was like, alright, this music doesn't hurt that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... That bad. I only uh, listened to the first two albums, and now I'm like, I love those. But then the rest of the songs, like, their other albums, etc., really the only song that I, like, fully know was Drag Me Down. Fair enough. Very but that is, that's song. all kind of it. And then uh, in college, my freshman, your roommate, shout out to Emily, love you. Uh, she... Love you, Emily. Yeah, honestly, you guys would vibe, actually. Oh, yeah. But she um, loved One Direction so much, and we... We would had, vibe. <laughs> she only had One Direction uh, folders for her I class. love her. Yeah, so I walked in, I'm like, oh, you like One Direction? She's like, yeah, I'm like... Yeah, they're dope. And she's like, I got to see them in concert. I'm like, I also saw them in concert. And then I was just Which like... Which tour did she go on? I don't know. Oh my god, besties. And, and, but I went to the One Direction concert. I was like, for their second album. Uh-huh. Take Me Home? Yeah, it was like their Take Me Where? Home tour. In LA. Oh, wait, I forgot you still lived in San Diego yeah. at the time. I was like, maybe we went, we went to the same no, one. Because I went to Nashville. But I went, I went to the one in... LA, but this was during the time I own this in the Black Belt Brides. My sister loved them. You so could have been my in. I'm like, I, I You could have been my in. It was me at a One Direction concert in my fucking, like, I think I was wearing a Black Belt Brides t shirt. Oh I was God. like, Were you reading a book? I think I had headphones in, but then honestly, one, the, the thing with the One Direction concert is that they know how to, like, pump up the audience. They do. But it was like, it was me plus, like, probably other teenage tween girls. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, I think I was, like, 16, 15 mm-hmm. or 16. So you kind of out of your element a bit. I was a little out of my element, but the thing is, is that, like, they had a fun time. They, they were did. going for it. That was and, a fun uh, tour, too. Yeah, it was It was really exciting. And then, honestly, I kind of wish that I was able to go to another one when I actually liked their music. But now, now all we can hope for is a safe world post-vaccine. With a reunion. Go- Reunion would be lovely, but I was just thinking of One Direction Club Night. Um, I'm not ah. asking for much, but I am asking for a vaccine. <coughs> oh, she's dying. I choked because I got so excited. Oh, my God. <laughs> I went, when I was in New Orleans, we went to this club. And they played exclusively, like, early 2010s bops. Like, I'm talking Baby, Justin Bieber, Britney Spears, and they played One Direction. And Middle I, school vibes? Yes. Mm. Um, and it, this wasn't, like, 
a 2010s and 90s. It's just like, and I guess they were just vibing. I don't know, but it was the best time ever. I was wearing a Treat People with Kindness shirt. Let's start there. <laughs> I'm having a good time. It was a hoot and a half. But um, back to One Direction. In ninth grade, I took, I had a notebook that was One Direction. I was such a big fan. And I remember being like, oh, I hope no one tries to give me shit for it because I think this is such a cute notebook. And I took it to my engineering class. And I remember one of my friends being like, is that really a One Direction notebook? And I, I, I shit you not, I was just like, and what about it? This was when I was still so insecure and like, but that was the more. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you said you're so insecure and I said, and you don't know what for. Ah! That was good. That was Thanks. good. I wish you got it on the first time, but you know. I didn't hear it. Oh, I said I, this was when I was still insecure. Don't know what for. Yeah. If, if it's when, if you would have said it like that. <sighs> Work on it. <laughs> my fault. My fault. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, that was the most confident I had ever been in my entire life. And I felt so good about it. Because I was like, yeah. <laughs> what you got to say about my One Direction notebook, sir? Well, uh, welcome back to Bad Grads. Welcome. This is our first time recording in the same room oh yeah so this is fun we're um, not a country of part anymore no more zoom so hopefully the quality on this is better and if it's not i don't give a fuck yeah it's <laughs> okay cares. i'm not an audio engineer just a musician just a musician that doesn't know how to mix things <laughs> amazing musician such great work but yeah so callie and i are sitting in the same room it's really great it's nice to see your voice in per- See my voice? Yeah, do you <laughs> see it coming out? My face all the time? Just auras. You gotta look at my mullet? No. <laughs> I have a mullet now. Anyway, anyway, welcome back. Back to business. Uh, we got a couple different topics for today. Yeah, we have some fun ones going on. Um, start it out, Kate? Yeah, I'd love to. So, I'm gonna be talking about halfway houses, why they're important, why we need them, and why you should be concerned that the government has decided to defund them. Um, before we start with that, uh, so halfway houses are, are a great example of what we are wanting to do with the idea of defunding the police. Mm-hmm. I was talking with Callie about this earlier, and I wanted to mention it, that criminology at its core, will always support the idea of defunding the police. Mm -hmm. And that's mostly just because the police work as a reaction and criminology works to prevent. So they're not on the same wavelength, realistically. No. And criminology is a theory-based academic institution Mm -hmm. that constantly tries to understand crime and how to prevent crime by providing resources and different programs that exist in order to support people, support community, whether it's individual, family, or even schools, to provide, you know, resources, needed resources to keep people away from turning to crime. And again, turning to crime usually just means there's a lack of resource and there's Mm -hmm. lack of community support. You take a person out of their community, you isolate them, Mm -hmm. exclude them from everything. I mean, what other option do they have at that point? Yeah. And sometimes, again, crime can be out of necessity or just falling into the wrong group. What if you are completely isolated and you find a group of people who are willing to accept you, but maybe they're not the right people. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're into some shady stuff. Not necessarily mean, like, you search for those people. It just means that they're the only ones that, like, 
gave you that support, mm-hmm. and then you're going to get into crime. Yeah. That's, if that's the only resource you have, what else, like, that's what you got. Exactly. So the idea of defunding the police is taking that money that the government is giving the police departments, the millions and millions upon millions of dollars, and distributing that into programs that have been shown to decrease crime rates Mm -hmm. and support the community in ways that police officers can never Mm -hmm. and redistribute it that way. So it's the idea of redistributing the wealth that would have gone to police back into our communities and back into programs that are going to support them. Halfway houses are just one of those things. So what is a halfway house? So a halfway house is, you know, are, are there to provide medical resources, shelters, and food mm-hmm. for people who are just recently released from prison. Okay. It is a halfway in, halfway out, basically. Uh, you are no longer in prison. Um, and a lot of the times when you, with the shit show that is our prison system currently, most of the time when you're released from prison, sometimes they'll give you a bus ticket. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Or whatever you had in storage, they'll give it back to you. Mm-hmm. Normally, you have to close on your back in a one-way ticket and nothing else to your name. Mm-hmm. So and what then are you you're like, to do with that? congratulations, now you're back in the world. Well, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? If you, don't have a, if you don't have a support system, you don't have anyone back to turn to, what is always going to be there? Mm-hmm. Criminal activities, maybe the people that you were you know, doing stuff with before. Mm-hmm. So halfway houses act as a way to still provide shelter, food, medical care, and social support to people recently released from prisons um, to help them get readjusted to society. Mm -hmm. So they're not just like on their own. Exactly. Because theoretically, prisons are supposed to be rehabilitation. Halfway houses basically provide that last, you know, they provide what prisons aren't providing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a, like, hey... This is a social worker. Mm-hmm. They're going to help you out. Employment benefits. You have a medical condition. We have on staff, on site, uh, medical professionals that are going to help you out. Here's a bed. Here's mm-hmm. warm, like. So not only is it like a place to stay, but it's also a community resources and just like help. Exactly. It's it's the resources and help that should be provided for someone that has absolutely nothing after being released from the system. Mm. So, so how do you get to a halfway house? So a lot of the times you can, depending on the crime that you've committed, mm-hmm. um, you can feed into a halfway house, uh, depending on like the social worker that you have, mm-hmm. etc. Um, there is a our one of our professors was talking about that there is a uh, halfway house on the East Coast mm-hmm. that has recently released inmates and college students living together. Oh yeah, I remember him talking about that. Uh, and that's a great environment because one, the college students are can interact with the inmates, and it's destigmatizing mm-hmm. uh, takes away that barrier yeah it takes away the barrier and it's destigmatizing the idea of being uh you know in prison mm-hmm. um because not all crimes are violent crimes mm-hmm. and not it's dependent in- upon the crime you committed right like if someone basically it's not a safety issue no people are worried murdered about many people you're not going to be going into a halfway house exactly so staying with them isn't, like, a danger. It's no. fine. A lot of these times, especially with the way that our justice system works, it's going to be people who are in prison for a simple burglary of maybe worth $18 mm-hmm. 
And because of laws and bias, they could be in there for like 60 years. Ridiculous stuff. So it's, with halfway houses, it's, of course, integrating people back into society, but it's the least people can do, it's the least the system can do to the people that, Mm -hmm. you know, who should, did not deserve to be in prison and to allow them to have that adjustment at the very an least. An adjustment. It, it's the it most It seems like it should be an expectation instead of an addition. It, it needs to be an absolute thing that happens. Mm-hmm. But halfway houses are being defunded by our government. Mm-hmm. Why? They're few and far between. And the main reason why is because the government is arguing that there is far too insufficient evidence that halfway houses work because of studies that were done a while ago. But if you're like, hey, I want to do more research on halfway houses, you should really look at this. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh no, we're going to look at hotspot policing, because that's what we think works. Mm -hmm. No, that does not work. That causes so much problem. Which has been proven. It's proven that hotspot policing never does not work, has never worked, and it should not be researched into any further. Well, the thing is, it's it's supporting the current narrative. That is supported by the criminal justice system. This exactly. Hot stop policing oh. and... Uh, um, stop and frisk? Stop and frisk, and then also de-escalation training. Mm-hmm. You know? It's pretty much absolute that de-escalation training does not work. Mm-hmm. Especially the way it is now. Exactly. And that's the number one for the... It was like the 21st task force on uh, policing done under President Obama's mm-hmm. legislation basically advocated for de-escalation based on, you know, studies that did show that there was change. But the thing is, is that, like, these are also studies done in controlled environments and done over time. So although the concept might work, the practice isn't there. Mm -hmm. It's, like, good in theory, unwanted results in practice, Mm -hmm. as many things are. So halfway houses, you know, they work. They are proven to work. And, uh... You know, we should be funding halfway houses. And not only are there halfway houses for crime, but there's also halfway houses for drug use. Mm-hmm. So it, it's important. So I'm just going to go over kind of... So oh, share that PowerPoint. Well, this PowerPoint is the one that we used from our meta-analysis. Yeah. So we had a class this past spring where we, every week, we had a meta-analysis and we read it and reported on what it was in a PowerPoint over Zoom to classes. Not a fun time. Really hard. If you ever did a group project in general, you know it's hard, but imagine a group project over Zoom. With a meta-analysis that's like a million pages long and difficult to dissect. Sometimes we read like 120-page papers. And what a meta-analysis is, is a over... it's uh, It's a paper that basically describes a problem and then uses data from other papers that already exist so it's a mm-hmm. analysis of many things a meta so it's multiple research um, yeah there's analysis. it's like an onion there's layers oh my god what's up i'm shrek <laughs> shrek's a criminologist <laughs> i wish he would be he's awesome i'd love to have class with shrek we read a paper uh titled halfway out an examination of the effects of halfway houses on criminal recidivism Criminal recidivism is the likelihood and the action of going back to crime after, you know, not committing crimes for a while Mm -hmm. or going to prison. So recidivism is like repeating, like getting back into it. Yeah. So 
halfway houses just do an amazing job at limiting the overall rate of criminal recidivism. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was compared to, you know, people that just went straight from prison to going back into life without that support versus prison halfway house and then halfway house back into society in any way Mm -hmm. over a period, I think they examined two years and there was a distinct uh, limitation on uh, the rate of criminal recidivism. So basically here's some just some statistics so a nine-year follow-up study uh which was released in 2010 so about 10 years ago it's a little bit out of dated but there were 4,000 no 400,000 released offenders 68 percent were re-arrested within three years that is a lot so high by the end of the study that's more than two-thirds yeah by the end of the study, 85% of that number were rearrested. So over nine years. So three within three years, 68. Within nine years, 85 of the total. That's so many. That's a lot of people. Of It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And, and also, like, imagine getting out of prison and that being your, your odds. How scary is that? Yeah. It's disheartening. Mm-hmm. And it's not does not talk about the character of the person. It's not talking about the character of the system. Yeah. It's... We need to stop judging a single person from going to prison Mm -hmm. and just assuming that they're going to be back. Mm -hmm. Because we assume that they're going to be back, and the system is designed to make them go back, they will go back. Exactly. Unless we have resources, which they deserve, and And they should be treated. And then they start to think that they're not adequate because of that. I mean, it's the looking glass self-theory. What is that? Need, I think. I think so. To interpret need. It's like, I am what you think I am. No, you're not. You are what you think you are. Exactly, and if the entire world is alienating you and telling you that you're just a good-for-nothing criminal mm-hmm. because you have a record, like you're going gonna... Gonna to have to. That's what you fall into. Exactly, and that should not be the case. So, basically, we're talking about the prison cycle, um, which is, for three main reasons, it's ex-offenders experience a lack of housing, social support, and employment when they are released. Mm-hmm. These increase the likelihood of recidivism so it's a whole cycle it's you're in there's issues before you went Mm -hmm. to jail the first time right i mean those are still there when you get out right exactly and those issues don't leave so then you have those plus you're in prison Mm -hmm. then you either develop more prison uh, develop more problems because you've been in prison well also there's a stigma that comes with that stigma mental health Mm -hmm. Just being so alienated from society and from other people for so long, mm-hmm. and then you're released, and then there's a lot, then all those three issues, a lack of support, mm-hmm. and then you're gonna navigate life with what you have, which is how to be an offender exactly in any way, or the people that you know from that time. If they're not in prison, they can come out, or they are in prison, and they can, they, and they come out with you, mm-hmm. you know. So, and then it's just a cycle. Then you go back to jail. It's continual. Halfway houses are a solution to this. Mm-hmm. They are community-based, residential. They're a re-entry program. Yeah. Which is really what a halfway house is. And it's providing safe and stable and secure housing. As well as support. Exactly. And in Portland, there is the Northwest Regional Re-entry Center, which is a halfway house. And what they say that they do is securing employment and appropriate residence. And they adequate- secure employment for them? 
Mm-hmm. That is amazing. Yeah. And adequate mentoring support is essential to reducing recidivism and strengthening our communities. And so that funny. is, should be point blank, what happens when you are released from prison. You would think. I mean, that's what you need. Exactly. We're just basically allowing people to be like, all right, see you in a couple years is basically yeah. what they're telling them. Unless there's community support. Mm-hmm. So let's say that they go somewhere like here. They have that support. Mm-hmm. They have therapy, they have medical care, they have housing, they have food, and they have employment. Mm-hmm. So why are they being defunded? And that's the issue. So the, the Federal Bureau of Prisons is cutting uh, halfway house funding under the claim that there is outdated research. This is incorrect. This paper, this meta-analysis, which advocates that there is so much benefit to halfway houses. So let's say like the empirical question of this uh, thing was, do ex-offenders who participate in halfway houses have lower rates of recidivism compared to ex-offenders released directly into the community? Mm-hmm. So re-entry versus just Injury. bye-bye. Yeah. And it is, yes, they reduce likelihood of arrest, conviction, and incarceration. Mm-hmm. And out of eight of the nine studies found and looked into this meta-analysis, eight of the nine of them say that, yeah, they reduce the likelihood of recidivism. And the likelihood of recidivism decreases by 21%. That is astronomical in the criminological field. When so we get like a yeah. 5%, we freak out. Exactly. So 21%, this is on like average, not looking at every single data point, mm-hmm. but that's still a big number that you can probably extrapolate on a little bit. It's huge. 21% will not recidivate. That's and one in five. Yeah. That's one people. That's one person out of five every single time. Mm-hmm. So... If we fund halfway houses, like we should be doing, mm-hmm. then prisons won't be as overcrowded. Mm-hmm. The private prison system won't function as well as, as it thinks it does. Mm-hmm. And that's going to put a lot more care back into our communities. Mm-hmm. You're not going to see singled out communities being hit over and over and over again as much because there's support when coming out. So if you add halfway houses, remove hotspot policing, and then defund the police on top of that, Mm -hmm. and put money back into other programs, like instead of hiring more cops, hire more social workers. So So how do we advocate for the introduction of more halfway houses and make a move on this? It's research. Mm -hmm. It's criminologists and people advocating for the funding of halfway houses. It's removing the stigma of what a halfway house is. Yeah, that's a big thing, because right now it's... Very limiting when you talk to someone, when you talk to employers. It doesn't seem like a good thing, but it should. Yeah. Not to mention, you've already done your time. Exactly. Like, you, according to the system, you should pay your time, and that's how you make reformations, correct? Let them make reformations and move on. Exactly. Don't make them, like, don't do what Florida's doing right now, where basically inmates are allowed, ex-inmates can vote in Florida. Yeehaw. But they have to pay off all their legal fees. Mm. Out of pocket. Wow, that's not systematically oppressing anyone, is it? Exactly. We should be promoting more of these, and we're not. So it's we need more data, we need more people to erase the stigma, and we need more people to be shouting off the rooftops. Halfway houses are cool. <laughs> they help people. Maybe let's go to the roof. More. Yeah, just come on, let's, let's get up there and yell about this stuff. That is that is halfway houses. Um, I love them. And I encourage everyone to look them up a little bit more and, like, really... Show some support. Show some support, because we, as a society, 
need change. And yeah. halfway houses are one way that we can do that. So it'll benefit everyone. Awesome. Yeah, that's my part. Awesome. I'm going to be talking a little bit about accomplice laws. And so these, Ooh. I'm going to go specifically into two different types of cases to give an example of these. But in an accomplice law, which are vary from state to state, of course, but in an accomplice law, a person can also be charged under this law if he or she aids or abets another person in committing a crime or if they even fail to prevent that crime while having the ability to do so. Hmm. So basically, the fault of the crime falls on someone even if they just didn't prevent it, even if they were just an accomplice, which, again, I understand people need to be held accountable, but I think it seems a bit harsh in many of the cases hmm. that this is taken to, and I'm going to get into how that applies and how it is so strictly enforced. The first one I'm going to be talking about is another one close to home. <laughs> so this one is an Alabama case, and it actually is in an area not far from where I grew up, just down the road, actually. And it took place in Inslee, Alabama, or in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. So under Alabama law code, um, it's 13A-2-23, and a person is legally accountable for the behavior of another person if he or she procures, induces, or causes such other persons to commit the offense. That's the exact code in Alabama. And I'm going to be talking about the case of Nathaniel Woods. I'm not sure if you've heard about this one. It got a lot of publicity back in, I believe, March. And I'll be getting into why it did and everything that went down. On June 17, 2004, which has become known as the deadliest day in Birmingham police history, the police responded to a miscellaneous complaint in Ensley and found Nathaniel Woods inside his apartment, who argued with them for a little bit, as many people do when they are being confronted with arrest, which is completely normal, but he didn't fight back. He didn't have any weapons or anything. It was nothing of the sort. It was just verbal debates. And then this was actually through the screen on his door, so it wasn't even wasn't even inside his house. No one was really close to each other. And then they came back to issue the warrant for his arrest due to drug-related charges because he was believed to be a local drug dealer Mm. and then when they did come inside he surrendered upon arrest when they entered the house and he was actually reported to just be begging them not to spray him because they had pepper spray and they were threatening to do so and that was what was going on and so he had actually the way it works is they went from the screen door which was at the front to the kitchen which was kind of towards the back of the house so you walk through the living room to the kitchen so that's where they were when he was arrested and he at this time is handcuffed with one of the officers. There are three more officers up at the front of the house still, and it was at this time that someone named Spencer was nearby, and he heard the commotion of the officers and everything, and then while Woods was being arrested, again, in another room with another officer, and that was by Collins, three of the officers up at the front of the house, they were by the door, so that's Chisholm, Owen, and Bennett, stood in the doorway at the front of the house when Spencer came up on the scene and shot them at that time. Again, Woods was on the other side of the house, didn't know Spencer was coming. Spencer and Woods both admitted to not knowing he was coming because it was he heard what was going on and came up on the scene. It was not a planned thing in any way. Um, those three officers died. Obviously, that is quite a big deal when a police officer dies on duty and... Spencer was held accountable for this, and so was Nathaniel Woods. So in addition to being charged for these drug crimes, he is now being held accountable for the shooting of these officers. But, and he, but so Spencer just came up and He just came shot. up on the scene and shot Did them. Spencer and Woods know each other? Spencer and Woods knew each other, but it didn't seem to be that they were very close. 
However, he just happened to be in the he area. just happened to be in the area. Okay, it wasn't a planned. It wasn't like, hey, I'm coming over at this time. Hey, this is what's going on. Like he was just coming by and saw what was going on. So it was more so like a neighborhood type of thing. So Nathaniel Woods was sentenced to death row, and was yeah, he what was sentenced fuck? to death row, and he his execution was pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. He was ultimately executed this year, and even. Kim Kardashian West, who has become very active in a lot of political debates and helping prisoners at this time, yeah. she advocated for him. And even Governor Kay Ivey at this point was like, well, no, he's we're not going to have him executed. I'm going to deal with it. And he was told the day of his execution that it was being handled and it was being pushed back and that they would get it overturned. And he, sp- he was spoke with representatives of Kay Ivey who told him that it wouldn't be happening, and it did. So this man was killed for a crime he had nothing to do with realistically. His arrest just brought Spencer to the scene, and yet he was killed for this. And then on another case, it's not the same level, meaning that there weren't police involved, there wasn't this national news coverage for it, but it is still a very important case. And this is the case of Jennifer Mee, who was actually a televised star for a hot minute in the early 2000s. Not very large, but she became really widely known as the Hiccup Girl. I don't know if you heard about that in, like, the early 2000s. Basically, this girl got a crazy case of the hiccups and couldn't stop, stop hiccuping, like, to the point where it was, like, a health issue. Yeah. I had, no, I didn't. Yeah, I hadn't heard of it either, but it was pretty widely known, and she got a lot of publicity for that. It wasn't, like, a planned thing. She just got a lot of help from different doctors, and eventually, you know, it worked out. But nonetheless, she did have this public name for that. And she was living over in St. Petersburg, Florida in 2010, who also, this state also has a lot of accomplice laws, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And then Jennifer was dating a man named Lamont Newton. And Jennifer, Newton, and another one of their friends named Lauren planned a robbery against Shannon Griffin. They were really just trying to get some money. They were, uh, they admitted to being pretty involved in drugs and stuff. Um, So they just planned a robbery against Shannon Griffin and Shannon was actually under the impression that Jennifer and him were going on a date. They met online. He told all his friends about it. He got all dressed up, and they were planning to go on a date, or so he believed. And Jennifer met up with him, and then they went. She said that she told him it was just a drug deal and that they were going to get some weed. But again, that's not what he was under the impression of, so we don't really have evidence of what she had told him. But they did meet up, and then they soon went towards an alley where Jennifer said, hey, I know these guys down here that are going to meet us and get us some weed, whatever. They meet at the end of the alley, and it's at that point that they meet up with Laron and Newton. At that point, they meet at the end of the alley, and Jennifer leaves at this time. She's just like, yeah, these, they're going to get us some weed. And as they're talking, she just, like, walks away. The men demand that Shannon give them all of his money, and obviously he refuses. He's not going to give in. And he puts up a fight, but it's at that time that they shot him, and they robbed him for only $50. They shot and killed him for $50. It is absurd. All three of them left the scene, but they did leave the gun at the scene, and they just went back to their house. Or actually, it was an apartment that they were staying at. And at this time, they all three soaked their clothes in bleach. But they kept his wallet on with them. They put it in an air vent and trying to hide it. But again, that's still, still there, so it's very evident. Police connected the dots pretty fast. They found them within the next day. And all three were then charged with first-degree murder. All three of them. Including Jennifer. They were found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. A lot of people are saying that this isn't 
fair considering me says she didn't even know that there was going to be a shooting. She wasn't even there. And she didn't, not only was she not there, she didn't pull the trigger. She had no idea. So she tried, she attempted to do a plea deal and get 15 years, but she was refused. They wouldn't go below 25 and she didn't want to do 25. So the A went to trial and that's when she got life without parole. So, okay, backtrack. Mm -hmm. So she, she meets up with, she meets up with the guy and they go get some weed. Mm-hmm. Why did she leave? Does, they don't say. According to her, she's like, I just slipped out. And to me, it's like, well, did you know what was going to happen? Or did you just not want to be there when, like, I don't really understand why she left. But that was never addressed. Hmm. That's not, that part is a little sketchy, but at the same time, we don't know, so we can't make any assumptions exactly. based off of... It's like... 1,000% she should be doing some time for this. Yeah. I completely, like, these people should be paying for this man's death. This yeah. is totally not okay. However, do I think she should get life without parole? Yeah. If she knew, but if she didn't know. But then even if she knew. Even if she knew, I so... still feel like it's, there's so many, considering how many cases get sent so much less, I can name case after case, which people did horrible things and got Bradley Turner. Yeah, and they got yeah. nothing. And yet, although this is a horrible crime and he deserves justice, does she deserve life without parole? Mm-hmm. And did Nathaniel Woods deserve execution in Absolutely no way? Absolutely not. And those are not on the same level, but they are both cases within this accomplice law that I feel should be addressed. Because there are different spectrums. Like, there are different variations of being involved. And it's good to address all of them. So what do you think? I think... It's frustrating because within the Nathaniel Woods one, mm-hmm. fuck that. Yeah. 100%. He did not deserve to die. Not even a little bit. Not even, like... And I think that one was charged so much. He didn't deserve to get arrested for the deaths of exactly. those officers because he was not involved. I feel like that one was charged so much more seriously because it was officers, exactly. which is... I don't understand no. the necessity. The deaths of, of officers should be treated the exact same as the death of a normal civilian. Mm-hmm. We see so many times that that is not usually the case because officers are had are and yet they held are, up on a pedestal. They are charged so much less for the death of a civilian. Exactly, or so, nothing at all. Yeah, so it's like one that's a problem, and this is exactly what people are trying to talk about right now, and people mm-hmm. just aren't listening. Yeah, which you should be listening, but. But in a case of, like, me, it's, like, okay, we don't know her involvement. If she knew mm-hmm. that they were going to rob him. Yeah. She did know they were, they were going to yeah. rob him. So they know. That, that was the plan. So she was complicit in the robbery, mm-hmm. but not complicit in death. Exactly. So it's one of those things where it's, like, well, yeah, you were an accomplice in the robbery. Mm-hmm. So To be charged with that. But first-degree murder? Yeah. First-degree murder questionable because if I mean she could just be saying that she didn't know this is true but then again we don't know we can only extrapolate on the details so I think with the accomplice laws it's like I think it really should be case to case it's case to case Mm -hmm. but it it, if you're just happen to be in the same room when a crime is committed yeah yeah imagine imagine if if you're at a bank and the bank is robbed and you're just happened to go up to the teller right before Mm -hmm. and they're like I saw them talking outside. It's like, yeah, maybe you, like, yeah, opened because the door I asked for how someone. your day was. Yeah. So, like, and that, and if you get charged for that, it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm, pro- that's, I'm sure that's probably happened this before. This gotta have happened. 
So that's how fucked the system is. And mm-hmm. we're like, this crazy idea. Yeah, it probably happened. Yeah, it happened. Yeah. It happened. Um, Something fucked up? It happened. It probably. So I, it's like weird case to case, but I do think that like to the degree of what an accomplice law is, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, if you're a getaway driver. Yeah. You're, in, in, you're in complicit. Like, uh, like you're involved, but should you be charged to the same degree? Because that's the question of accomplice laws. Yeah. I was watching one of the Netflix docu-series about the uh, women's prison. That's not Basically, there was one of the girls in there who was always... She seemed to be kind of like the sweet, innocent one. Mm-hmm. But she'd been in there the longest. Okay. So you're not really quite sure what was happening. And she had the biggest sentence out of the people on that floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she got with the wrong crowd at 17, mm-hmm. 16, 17, maybe even younger. They were going to go rob a house, and she knew that was going to be the case, so mm-hmm. she went along with them, and then she was a driver. Okay. People went in the house, murdered the entire family, robbed them, and she still was a driver. Yeah. While she was a minor, she was charged as an adult. Damn. But the thing is, is that she knew what happened, mm-hmm. and still chose to stick with her friends. Yeah. So they charged her. They charged the friends much worse. Yeah. But they charged her as well. See, that, to me, that's fair. That makes because sense. Because they're not... The thing is here, they're being charged the exact same. Yeah. And that's crazy to me. Like, 1,000%, mm-hmm. everyone should be held accountable. But are they the same degree? I don't think Maybe so. Not. If she knew that they were going to kill him, that's aiding, abetting, and murder. Mm-hmm. But is it first degree? But it's not first degree. Exactly. She didn't pull the trigger, mm-hmm. but if she was, like, bringing them people, mm-hmm. it's it's still manslaughter. It's still manslaughter. It's still something. But it's and not she murder should murder first degree. Again, state to state, they're the ones that are saying, if you're an accomplice, you should be charged 1,000%. Yes. However, should you be charged to the same degree? In my opinion, I feel like that's not... No. I, don't I like do that. not think that you should be charged within the same degree. If it's within the death of a person, you're not the one that pulled the trigger, nor are you the one that initiated the murder. But if you came there with a complete intent to kill, mm-hmm. you are charged with intent to kill. Agreed. You can get, again, you can get more time in jail for stealing a pack of gum mm-hmm. than or doing any type of drug. Killing a woman in cold blood in her bed Yeah. when she's asleep. It's. You get no time for that. No. Or raping someone violently in the street. Yep. No time. And if you're not angry, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, why aren't you? I literally, like, it's fuming. How does this continue to happen? Exactly. That people aren't held accountable. Exactly. That people can do things so clearly and nothing happens. You can murder a person in broad daylight. You can murder a person with having clear video evidence. You can assault, beat and shoot, spray tear gas mm-hmm. into the eyes and mouths of peaceful protesters mm-hmm. during a respiratory vi- virus epidemic, pandemic. Mm-hmm. and you Of course, you have the right to do so, right? Apparently. Yeah. You won't be You charged. also have the right to decide in 32 states if someone consented to sex or not. Exactly. Because that's up to you. Yeah. This is the world we live in, and this is the This field. is the America we live this in. This is the America we live in, and this is the field that... We're trying to improve. We're trying to improve. But I think another question is that I've been thinking a lot mm-hmm. over this these past months. Um, is criminology part of the problem? Yeah. And I think absolutely it is. So are we adding to the problem? Are we a part of the problem because we're in the field? I think to a degree. Good question, yeah. Yes, we are. I mean, that's the same con- 
concept as are are we part of white privilege 1000% yes. because we benefit from it we are part of the problem mm-hmm. however can we acknowledge that and grow from it and do what we can to help also yes true but we can only grow and help because of the privilege that we have mm-hmm. and I also feel with criminology it's kind of like what you do with it so it's like you could have all the power and money in the world but if you do only use that for good mm-hmm. and for the benefit of your communities and people that are suffering as well as making sure that you are able to live and survive mm-hmm. that's one thing yeah but if you're hoarding all the wealth and you're hoarding all the power and you're making that show that people are just dying all around you while you well you don't even them, worry about it like jeff bezos elon musk mm-hmm. uh, mark zuckerberg all those people right yeah they're benefiting off of the suffering of others even during a pandemic and they're just they don't seem to care Criminology is very similar. What mm-hmm. you do with this knowledge and what you do with this data and what you do with your many degrees is going to say something. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a good bit, how knowledge, I mean, it's gatekept. There's a oh, gatekeeping yeah. concept to it in that Absolutely. Um, when speaking to different groups, we need to make sure that we are providing that information so that everyone can understand, mm-hmm. which is part of something we're trying to do here. Yeah. But it's knowledge about the criminal justice system isn't just for scholars and academia this is something that should be accessible to everyone but given the language that's used it's not because it is gatekept yeah that's the intention mm-hmm. it's broken and within criminal criminology pa- criminological papers are written for other criminologists they're not mm-hmm. written for anyone else in the other fields and that's just hard yeah and it's stupid because again criminology is a discipline made up of so many other disciplines mm-hmm. and it's like if we at least generally explain what these things are... People can learn. Yeah. So which is why fact sheets are so important. Mm-hmm. You know? Or, or briefs. I briefs are so important. Because you can have, like... One, they're visually pleasing. Mm-hmm. Two, they have columns and images that back up the terms that you're saying. So having a definition, like glossary, mm-hmm. on the side and a bolded word, kind of like a textbook. Yeah. Basically and they use more video. common language to explain that definition. And we should be normalizing that. Exactly. Because it's hard. Like, again, this is one of the reasons why we've made this podcast. Not mm-hmm. only is it for us to kind of just talk and have this fun thing. True, yes. It's whoever does listen, these are going to be actual problems that we're, you know, trying to solve from an academic point of view mm-hmm. with data. But... We're trying to explain it to you. Like, last week I talked about, like, <laughs> geospatial analysis, and that's complicated. It is, but it's sick. And, you, I mean, like, yeah. you explained it really well. I, I hope I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I but hope I did it. I think I did. But you have to break that down piece by piece by piece. Like, mm-hmm. I peer-reviewed a textbook on um, that's going to be released for geospatial analysis. Mm-hmm. And I, it was just a textbook chapter, and I, when I looked through it, I was like, man, this is not user-friendly. Yeah. How are you supposed to understand some? How are people supposed to learn if it's not presented in a way that's understandable for the public? Exactly. Like, layman's terms. Mm-hmm. Just make it... Make it normal. Make it accessible to all. Yeah. So these are two issues that we hope you learned something about yeah i hope it helps honestly look into reworking accomplice laws Mm -hmm. abolish death row uh let's get it fund halfway houses and do your research arrest the killers of brianna taylor the killers of brianna taylor and uh defund the police black lives matter and support local black businesses thank you good night Yeah.
We will see you soon. Keep an eye out for our cute little website. Yeah. And our lovely, lovely, lovely artwork that's done by it's Sabrina. So I love shout out to Sabby. Love you. I'm gonna add her Facebook and Instagram in the description of this. Wonderful. Please go support her. Support your artist friends. Tip hella on commissions. Facts. Enjoy the rest of the sun. Wear a mask, you sick fucks. Yeehaw. Good and night. Goodbye. <laughs>